and welcome to the Pediatric Anesthesia Journal's Featured Article of the Month podcast for March 2023. These monthly podcasts are published on the journal's website, and you can also subscribe to them via iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Podbean. My name is Dr. Simit Das, and I'm one of the journal's education editors. This month's featured article is entitled Comparison of Intravenous and Inhalational Anesthesia, on post-operative behavior changes in children undergoing ambulatory endoscopic procedures, a randomized controlled trial. It is my distinct pleasure to welcome the lead author of this article, Dr. Vinicius Gindal. That's the best I can do. I hope that's okay. Who is a pediatric anesthesiologist from the University of Sao Paulo. Welcome to this podcast, Vinicius, and thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me, it's a pleasure. Great, can I please start by asking what the primary and secondary aims of this study were? Uh, our primary aim uh, was to determine uh, whether intravenous anesthesia reduces postoperative behavior, change in children undergoing ambulatory endoscopic procedures compared to inhalation anesthesia. Uh, we also uh, analyzed the correlation between perioperative anxiety and the quality of induction with the occurrence of postoperative negative behavior chains. Uh, finally, uh, we perform a post hoc analysis uh, categorizing uh, children's anxiety and uh, emergency delirium and assessing the correlation with postoperative uh, negative behaviors. Thank you. And how big a problem is emergent delirium? Uh, thank you for your question, Dr. Das. Uh, in my opinion, uh, the emergency delirium uh, is the biggest problem in the PACU after uh, respiratory adverse events. And uh, unfortunately, uh, we still do not measure uh, the emergency delirium at the PACU as we measure uh, postoperative pain. And uh, considering the emergency delirium uh, as a self-limited adverse event, uh, we should uh, emphasize the prevention strategies. But I believe uh, we still lack information uh, about the objective associated factors and uh, the physiopathology of such an adverse event. Uh, I also uh, consider that we don't know the impact of uh, emergency delirium in delayed postoperative uh, behavior. Maybe uh, we don't have this correlation, as you can see in the elderly, uh, but we, more, we must explore uh, this research question. Thank you. Can you just briefly tell us how you collected the data and analyzed the data you found? The results uh, published uh, in this paper uh, are actually part of an umbrella project on perioperative uh, behavior change uh, in children uh, at our university. Uh, we applied uh, several uh, observational uh, scales in children undergoing ambulatory procedures from the preoperative uh, waiting area until the postoperative time uh, at home. For this particular study, uh, we started observing the child in the perioperative area and uh, we collected data regarding uh, their anxiety, 
using the modified uh, EAO, uh, perioperative anxiety scale, that uh, is uh, currently validated into Brazilian Portuguese. And uh, we also look for the parent's anxiety uh, using a 10 centimeters uh, visual analog scale. Uh, when the child uh, was called to the procedure room, uh, the parent uh, was allowed to escort the child until induction. And during induction, we observed the quality of the induction through the pediatric behavior uh, scale. And uh, we also assessed uh, the child's interaction uh, with, uh, with the parents and the health professionals uh, uh, by applying the perioperative adult uh, child uh, behavior scale. Uh, uh, we actually published uh, the, the part of the, the child's interaction uh, with adults and the health professionals in another paper in the pediatric anesthesia. Uh, at the induction, uh, the child uh, was randomized to continue the anesthesia with a sevoflurin or a propofol. And we turned it off the sevoflurin and I started uh, intravenous anesthesia. And after awakening, uh, we assessed the emergency delirium through the pediatric uh, anesthesia emergency delirium scale, which also was validated into Brazilian Portuguese uh, by, our, by our team at our university, uh, up to 15 minutes. And uh, we know that pain uh, is a differential uh, diagnosis for emergency delirium. So we also uh, apply at the same time the FLAC uh, uh, scale uh, along with the, the pediatric anesthesia emergency delirium uh, scale. And after being discharged at home, uh, we applied the post-hospitalization post uh, behavior questionnaire, uh, the ambulatory uh, short version, uh, through telephone contact, through, through phone contact to assess uh, the change in behavior on day uh, one, seven, and 14 after uh, the procedure exam. Uh, we collected all this data uh, using our institutional uh, REDCAP, and uh, we assessed the number of new postoperative negative behavior chains between inhalation and intravenous anesthesia as the primary outcome uh, and we applied the chi-square test. And for the post hoc uh, analysis, uh, we assessed the correlation between uh, the child's anxiety and uh, uh, emergency delirium with uh, new postoperative negative behaviors using the Pearson's correlation and uh, after categorizing the emergency delirium, we used a linear model to assess a possible correlation between emergency delirium and new postoperative negative behavior. Thank you, that's very clear. I'm just interested, what was your rationale for an inhalational induction for all the children? Did you consider an IV induction in the IV anesthesia group? Uh, great, uh, it's a very interesting question. And uh, first, uh, here in Brazil, uh, we are very used to inhalation induction. This is the culture, culture characteristics of our population and the pediatric anesthesiologists in Brazil. 
So uh, our casuist uh, is from uh, children considered uh, frequent flyers because uh, submitted to endoscopic uh, gastrointestinal or respiratory uh, procedures, uh, the majority of children are, they have a chronic uh, disease and uh, they uh, were submitted, uh, they were uh, submitted undergoing more than 10 uh, procedures so far uh, during uh, the time that we collected our data. So uh, we do assume uh, to randomize the child before the, the induction, before the induction, but uh, we conclude that uh, it could increase uh, the child's anxiety and uh, may interfere uh, with the results of both the induction and post-operatively uh, uh, because, as I said, the, the majority of our uh, children are used with this uh, kind of procedure and they are used with the inhalation induction. Uh, also, our uh, institutional review board gave us a negative answer uh, when we uh, asked to, to randomize before induction and uh, start an IV induction. And, uh, but uh, as we saw these, uh, these methods in previous uh, studies that they applied inhalation induction and uh, then converted to IV anesthesia, we decided to proceed with this strategy. And uh, uh, it's important to note that after uh, inhalation induction and uh, with an IV line in place, uh, the child that were uh, that was randomized to the propofol group, uh, we monitored the sevoflurane levels until 0.3 mac until we start the procedural exam. So uh, we monitored if we are without the sevoflurane and anesthesia levels. Uh, actually uh, using the propofol. And after we saw this in the uh, gas analyzer, uh, we started to count the time of the procedure and started the procedure itself. Thank you. Um, would you mind just summarizing the key findings from your study for us, please? We saw uh, an incidence uh, of around 30% uh, of new uh, post-operative negative behaviors until day uh, 14. And uh, we didn't see a difference between inhalation and intravenous anesthesia. And uh, I believe 30% uh, uh, it's a high incidence of post-operative negative uh, behavior, but IV anesthesia didn't show uh, to be a preventive measure, as we can see for the emergency delivery. Uh, we also uh, could not find a correlation between perioperative anxiety and the quality of induction with the occurrence of postoperative negative behavior. As I said before, uh, we performed a post-hoc analysis and uh, we found that uh, children uh, presenting uh, emergency delirium had uh, an average increase of uh, three uh, new postoperative negative behaviors compared to those uh, without uh, emergency delirium. 
And uh, as a uh, post hoc analysis, we can analyze, we can interpret that as exploratory, but uh, we didn't see any difference between halation, intravenous anesthesia, only this correlation. If the child had a medicine delirium, they, they may have uh, an, an average increase of three new postoperative negative uh, behaviors. And uh, concluding uh, our results, uh, once again, uh, the postoperative negative behavior, the incidence were considered high compared to the literature and uh, with no difference between inhalation and intravenous anesthesia. And uh, as a post hoc analysis, uh, we saw that children uh, with emergency delirium might show a greater incidence of negative postoperative uh, behavior chains. I'm just interested if you felt there are any significant differences in the wake-up profile of, between the two techniques. Yes, for the uh, emergency delirium, uh, we recorded uh, 14 uh, children uh, with emergency delirium in the intravenous group and 33 in the inhalation group. And uh, when we perform a, a statistical test to compare, uh, there was a, a statistical difference between, group, between groups in the first minute of the evaluation. But uh, in the end, uh, we, we observed the child until the minute 15 in the FACU. In the end, we didn't saw uh, any significant clinical uh, difference between inhalation and intravenous anesthesia. But uh, the emergency delirium was, uh, wasn't our uh, primary objective. Our primary objective was the postoperative negative behavior. And uh, we saw uh, many new uh, postoperative negative behaviors, but uh, once again, we couldn't see any difference between inhalation and intravenous anesthesia. Thank you. So I think you already mentioned this. So uh, just to clarify, you looked up to 14 days post-anesthetic. Yeah. yeah. Yes, okay. uh, we followed up to, don't you, the, the day 14 after the post-procedure. Okay, well, let me put this to you then. What anesthetic technique would you advise our listeners use in a child with a history of emergency delirium where the parents have flagged this up to you in advance and they're worried about it happening again? Uh, okay, uh, thank you uh, again for your question. Um, actually, uh, it's not clear uh, that the previous occurrence of uh, emergency delirium is associated factor for further episodes. It's not clear. But I consider that uh, we must apply uh, preventive measures uh, for the medicine delirium. Um, in my practice, uh, I, I used to apply two strategies. Uh, in routine practice, uh, I still use inhalation anesthesia uh, with acevoflurane as uh, the primary anesthesia technique. And a good and simple uh, preventive measure is uh, administering one milligram per kilogram of propofol uh, at the end of the anesthesia, at the end of the procedure. 
there are many uh, studies and uh, actually systematic reviews uh, that prove that uh, this strategy works and uh, excellent uh, uh, systematic reviews. This is a very simple uh, strategy. And uh, I uh, also, uh, uh, during the, the last uh, five years, I started to use dexmedetomidine in my practice. Uh, virtually all my anesthesia uh, procedures, I use dexmedetomidine uh, as an adjuvant in, uh, in my inhalation anesthesia. And it's also uh, a great strategy to prevent the emergency delirium. Also, there are many uh, studies and also systematic reviews to prove it. So uh, I believe that we must uh, apply preventive uh, measures to, to, to prevent this adverse event in the PACU. Thank you. Uh, at what stage are you giving the DEXMED if you're running SIVO? Uh, how can I use uh, expedited uh, at, at what point are you giving it at the end, as you suggested with propofol? No, no, uh, 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 sorry. No, I used uh, as uh, intraoperatively. Okay. As an, uh, yeah, I use, uh, this depends of the, the, the length of the procedure, but uh, I work in uh, tertiary university hospital, so the procedures tend to be lengthy compared to another hospitals in Brazil. But uh, I used to to start with a loading dose and uh, using uh, maintaining dose until until awakening. And the majority of the times, uh, I I perform the awakening with the dexmedetomidine still on, still running. So so uh, it's a strategy. It's, it's completely different from propofol. Let me finish by asking what research question in post-anesthetic behavior you'd like to see addressed next. Um, as I uh, discussed um, before, uh, I believe that uh, we must look for a possible uh, association between uh, early postoperative negative behavior, such as medicine delirium, and uh, delayed negative behaviors. And uh, still, uh, I think that like the elderly, uh, the child, uh, especially the young uh, child and the infant, uh, they have a vulnerable brain uh, to anesthesia. And uh, we must explore this possible association. Uh, maybe we don't see this association because uh, this uh, research question was, was not explored. Uh, uh, yet. And uh, also believe uh, that uh, we have uh, a lack information about the physiopathology uh, of emergency delirium and other uh, postoperative negative uh, behavior chains. We, we do know uh, a lot when you go to the elderly uh, literature and uh, for the pediatrics and for the child uh, we still uh, we still don't have this answer uh, regarding the physiopathology and uh, the objective associated factors for emergency delirium and another postoperative uh, negative behaviors, especially the delayed one. And uh, uh, some studies addressed the EEG 
uh, characteristics of emergency delirium and the inflammatory uh, status of the brain when they uh, observed uh, some uh, levels of inflammatory uh, uh, in the using a functional MRI. And maybe this, this could be also uh, associated with emergency delirium, but uh, it was uh, just one study uh, with few children included in that studies. So these studies could not explain the associated factors for emergency delirium, so we still need this answer, uh, especially when we look for children uh, which are vulnerable uh, to repeated and uh, lengthy, uh, long uh, procedures under anesthesia. And uh, uh, actually, uh, as part of this uh, umbrella project at our university, uh, we analyzed the epigenomics profile of children uh, with emergency delirium, uh, trying to explore uh, different characteristics that might, might explain uh, such an adverse event. And uh, we hope to publish our results uh, very soon. Thank you so much, Dr. Kintal. This has been an interesting discussion and we appreciate you taking the time to chat. And we look forward to more contributions from you and your team. Thank you, Dr. Das. Uh, I appreciate our conversation. And uh, I hope uh, the Pediatric Anesthesia podcast uh, listeners may enjoy it. Thank you. Thank you. That wraps up our featured article of the month podcast for March 2023. This article will be available for free on the journal's website shortly. Please follow us on Twitter on at PD Anesthesia. And please join us for next month's art featured article of the month. And until then, cheers.